I looked and behold, the heavens were opened. A ninth season. <laughs> we believe in the Trinity. We believe in the five solas. We believe in the doctrines of grace. A lot of the time, people are asking the wrong questions. They're not asking the questions like, do I understand God's grace? Do I understand the cross? have our own ministry. It doesn't matter if you work as a CEO or you work at McDonald's or whatever you do, or whether you're quote unquote in ministry, you have a ministry. As we mature, we walk, we, we enjoy our relationship with God in as much as we see his majesty in the blessings that we have just by what Yeshua has done for us, not by what we have done to impress God and then get something from him. So faith, but, so, so salvation by faith. Absolutely. Salvation by faith. I keep zeroing in on these, you know, the big ideas. Like, what is biblical love? You know, what is what is grace? Do I have an accurate understanding of God's grace? Our love for Yeshua, but His love, like through us, is why we're doing what we're doing. And that's why it's called Messiah Matters. Wednesday, December 7th, 2022. This is Messiah Matters number 411. Still in season nine, but my mind is already in season 10. My name is Caleb Hegg. <laughs> it's an inaugurated uh, season 10. Uh, almost. Uh, I'm Rob Banoff. I don't know what to say. So. Yeah, so I do, do not fear, chat room. Do not fear. The theme music is not going anywhere our theme music will continue to be <laughs> our theme music however the intro the countdown the first right now it's two minutes and 27 seconds but who knows what it could become maybe we need it a five be minute countdown it could be five you never can tell and uh that's uh yeah when we found our theme music uh when did we do that did that was that coming into messiah matters we you found it i found you it. you yeah. found it and created it well wait a minute we i didn't create different. it we we purchased oh, well, our well, theme I mean, music you, you layered it you the, the actual the, the actual theme music with the baritone sax we bought yeah that we bought that we licensed that and is so, that a real performance or is that synth oh, no. samples? That's got to be synth sa- samples. It's the guy, so tight. 
the guy, I mean, it is tight. It, the, the guy who wrote it, uh, he's got like 128 songs on, uh, on various places. It's got, it, I mean, it's, it's well done tight. It's, it's, it's legit horn section stuff. Like, you know what I mean? It's material that a, he's got a Spotify. He's got a spot. Anyway, not the point. He's, he's a legit, he's, he's a legit musician. Let's just put it that way. Obviously, obviously that's not going anywhere, but I got to say we're, we're working hard now. Mike is working on getting new, uh, a new producer credit up. So that's going to be up in the next week. Now we're going to try to launch season 10 next week. Next Wednesday is, is the goal. However, However, we might have to push it out depending on whether or not we get all of our stuff done. And not only that, but we have to have good content. So I want, I want our chat room to really send in the best stuff you got, the best questions, comments, whatever you got. And in fact, let's do this. If you want uh, something to be talked about on our season 10 opener, please Give us a shout out, 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. You won't talk to us. You just talk to an answer machine. And you can also shoot us an email. See how we have, a kind, and we have a kind answering machines. Really good listener. That's right. Will not, will not interrupt. Exactly. Will not escalate. <laughs> I'm, I'm opening something here. Anyway, might hang so, up on you. Might <laughs> after, hang up yes. Yes, exactly. Um, okay, so uh, yeah, give us a call or chegg at torresource.com. C-H-E-G-G at torresource.com. That's our email address. Send us emails. Um, and uh, can we have a special season 10 Rob's Gematria? Oh, should we should we throw back to Rob's Gematria? <laughs> Maybe it's time. Maybe hmm. it is time. Maybe hmm. our producer mug needs to have a big yod on it. Oh, please. No, let's not. Okay. Anyway. Um, and by the way, uh, for those of you who do celebrate the Hanukkah, uh, the Torah resource, Hanukkah. the Hanukkah Torah resource has all sorts of free stuff for you. Go check out. So there's a booklet you can, uh, the Christmas, download. the Easter, the, the Easter, the you Christmas, the, the Hanukkah. Do you celebrate the Christmas? Do you the celebrate Christmas. the Hanukkah? Uh, <laughs> but for, for perhaps most important of all is, uh, don't forget to subscribe. Uh, it really, really <laughs> does help us out. Okay, you know, uh, today, for some reason, it must be uh, uh, Friday giving or something like that because we've already gotten two sh super chats and I have now opened up my uh, my soundboard. Oh, yeah, they, they get us, they get us, they get a chose, uh, they get a choose. Yeah, yeah. So, so love is bigger. Always, uh, she always requests the weights and measures. I will add something <laughs> to her weights and measures oh, here. And Bobby, go ahead and uh, let me know what you, uh, what you want to hear if you have anything. <laughs> here we go. Here's, this is for, uh, this is for love is bigger. Uh, hang on. Sorry. Why am I not hearing this? Okay. Well, never mind. I guess I don't. I guess I don't have it. Why I'm is not that not working? Anything. I can do it live. Weights oh, and it, measures. Weights and measures. <laughs> mm. I know you have other. You have other. Uh, I don't know why my soundboard is not working. Little special frills added to oh, that that's, clip. That is so. That's so unfortunate. That's so unfortunate. I had them. I had them all already. Wow! Look at this, everybody. We love you so much. Okay, if I had a soundboard, I'd play sounds for you, but apparently I don't, um, and I don't know why. Let me try reopening it. We'll, uh, yeah, we'll reopen it, and we will uh, we'll try again in a few seconds. All right. Uh, while I try to get our soundboard going so that we can uh, say thank you to all of our people who have super chatted us in the past few seconds, 
and we are very grateful for that. Actually, there's a, a lot. Uh, there's a lot of things that we are paying for right now, including. And I'll, I'll, maybe I'll just drop a little hint. I might be spending a little bit of money to get a new intro for season ten. Might be spending, and I'm not sure it might come out of my own my own pocket here because I got an idea. Oh, I got an oh, yeah, idea. And, and- Caleb hasn't told me anything about it, so. I have not said anything to Rob. So here's the question. Here's the other question. I know that we need to be talking about biblical stuff here, but let's ask the chat room, since we've just had so many super chats, let's ask the chat room, should Rob go into the new music and the new countdown into season 10 fresh, or should we let him hear it so that he can approve it first? Let us know your ideas. Um, Okay, yeah. Yeah. I wonder, oh, I, oh, I wonder if I know why my thing's not working. I think I do, but I would have to go upstairs to get my additional. I know what's going on. I know what's going no on. See what we what we're seeing right now is Caleb has two apps running in his brain. One is Caleb for the Messiah Matters, and the other is producer thinking about I'm doing it all, all man. The tech, all the technology that's happening or I'm not happening. For me, right. I just sit and sip water and talk. Yeah, that's right. I have I have uh, the easy job here. That's okay. We'll try one more time. Nope, we don't have it. It's because uh, my external hard drive is sitting on my desk upstairs. Okay, we're just going to quit that and we're going to go ahead and just... I'm sorry, uh, Rob always uh, uh, already recreated one. Uh, you can Google it. See, there we go. Oh, oh, we got the, we got the go. soundboard right here. Anyway, okay, so let's get into some biblical matters. Now, um, I am going to come up here... So last week we talked about Timothy's comment, and to, and so he's he's asking questions about uh, tradition. We'll read his comment that we read last week, and then he uh, made a uh, an additional comment uh, and and just a little clarification. Now he's talking about something specific, okay? And that's that thing that he's talking about that is specific is Jewish tradition, whether or not um, Christians should keep Jewish yeah, tradition. I'm gonna yeah, I'll, I'll reread it. There, okay. I, I clipped this, and so if you go to uh, the Messiah Matter short videos, you can see the short clip, like five minutes long, five or six minutes long, something like that. Um, but this was his original question. He said, my question to you is in 1 Corinthians 11, 2 and 2 Thessalonians 2, 15. Now, this brought up a, a whole nother sub uh, conversation about whether or not women should have their heads covered or are, we're allowed to speak in, ch- in church. Uh, there was a whole thing. Anyway, go back and watch uh, what 410. 410 is, is what uh, you want to watch if you want to see the whole conversation. Anyway, so uh, back to Timothy's question. He says, is Paul teaching that we should be observing Jewish tradition? If Paul is saying that his Gentile churches are supposed to follow Jewish tradition, are we as well? Now, we talked about, well, uh, wh- you know, why would this be Jewish tradition? No, it's probably the tradition of the manuscripts or the tradition of the, the scriptures that we have passed down. In other words, the traditions, tradition can just simply mean, uh, you know, the teaching of Christ passed down, right? So the way that we do stuff and the way that, you know, the halakha essentially, uh, uh, that comes from Christ, and we have passed it down. And so this is what we talked about. And uh, T- Timothy writes in again, and he he clarifies for us a little bit. He says, hello, Caleb and Rob, thank you for addressing my question. The reason I said Jewish tradition was because the Greek word paradosis in the Thayer's Greek lexicon definition of it, of it describes it as the Jewish oral t- uh, traditions. Now, 
We're going to talk about this for just a second, but I'm going to take this com. I think I'm going to take this conversation in a totally different place that Timothy does not uh, mean to take it. And that's, that's totally fine. Uh, basically, I'm going to use Timothy's comment to go into a, a different realm here. But first, let's talk about Thayer's, um, his, his, uh, his lexicon and the fact that he uses Jewish tradition. I'm going to let Rob go ahead and, uh, and take this one. Go for it, Rob. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, Caleb and I were talking, chatting about this the other day when, when uh, Caleb shared with me that Timothy's, you know, refined question. And yeah, so Thayer is not, there, there are no, no, no serious Greek scholars today who go to Thayer's. I mean, that's the first thing. It's, I think it's over 100 years old, isn't it? Like, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I would say, I would guess it's over 100 years old. Um, and it, it written by a person who has kind of a strange, you know, Thayer had a, a strange theological orientation. He was a Unitarian. So this brings uh, which, up, wait, hang on, just stop right which there. Which doesn't affect his scholarship. But the point is, there's no, the, the idea that this is Jewish tradition is, was his opinion. And it's, it's, it's okay, a hang on, opinion. hang on. As my, as my three-year-old would say, T, 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 T. Um, let's talk about that for just a second. So here's a, here's a, a question that we, uh, a realm that we could go in. Here, here's something that we could walk down a little bit. I mean, does it matter what the person's theological position is when they're writing something like a lexicon? And the reason I would say that is, I mean, you, you might have uh, people like, well, Bart Ehrman, for, for instance. Uh, Dr. Ehrman is a renowned Greek scholar, even though he's not a mm -hmm. believer. And he has right. fought viciously against Christi Christianity uh, and manuscript tradition and so on and so forth. But that might not mean that his, uh, that his lexicon would be off, right? Well, I, that's true. That's true. I, that, that, that was a side, a side note, sure. just to say sure. that. Uh, but, you know, I don't know the whole story about uh, Joseph Thayer. Um, so we're talking, you know, 100 plus years ago. Pretty sure it was it's in 19th century. So probably over 125 years ago, no Greek scholar takes it seriously today. I believe it's linked to BDB or, or not, not, what do they call it? Blue Letter Bible, what BLB, Blue Letter Bible, because it's public domain. Yeah, it's open source. Right? Because yeah, yeah, it's oh, it's like old scans, and so you know, BLB or Blue Letter Bible has taken pains to excerpt all the entries and make them quick access to, you know, linked hyperlinked to various Greek words and index, you know, Strong's Concordance and stuff like that. And again, that reflects the. I don't know if it's na naivete on the on the part of the blb producers uh because i i i'm not uh, but it just it's just a little uninformed it's like it's not refreshed with the times um but yeah so to look to thayer regardless of whether he was you know what regardless of his faith commitment to read so, paradosis so, as jewish tradition is clearly wrong this brings up really wrong because, this because we have well, I was just going to say this brings up a really good point because we've actually had a significant amount of uh, uh, of expansion of 
and good scholarship done on rabbinical and thought process on rabbinical sources within the scholarly community, even within the past 20 to 30 years, right? So, I mean, if you look back in the 70s and 80s, the use of rabbinical sources is drastically different within scholarly works is drastically different than it is today. And the older you get, the more you see such uh, such reliance on rabbinical tradition. In fact, it, you know, you start to see this shift a bit uh, right when we come into the 90s and the 2000s, people start to realize, hey, the rabbinical tradition or the rabbinical literature doesn't actually go back to the first century. So we can't read something that was written four or 500 years later back into the first century. Now, of course, you can have people within uh, within the Jewish understanding, Jewish, you know, traditional Jewish understanding that's going to say, no, 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 the, the oral tradition was, the Mishnah was extant in the first century, it just wasn't written down. And uh, we, of course, push against this. But I think that as a whole, and I'm, I'm not trying to steal your thunder here, Rob, I'm just saying that as a whole, scholarship in general has shifted. Uh, you know, you, you see like in, um, and there, there are good works that still rely heavily on, on uh, Jewish literature, for instance, and I'll give you a, for instance, then I'll kick it back to you. But uh, for instance, E.P. Sanders, uh, Judaism's from 65, B, I'm going to get the dates wrong. It's like the work is, is referenced as Judaism's. Um, the subtitle is like 65 C, uh, BC to, you know, 70 AD or so, something something like that. Anyway, is that like um, Jewish law or something like that? Yeah. So what he does is he just gives a history of you know what kind of he tries to paint a, a very uh, specific picture of what was going on in the first century around Ju the Judaisms, and he does you know he does paint a picture of multiple Judaisms, um, how the temple service was being run, all these kind of things, and he uses multiple sources. This is done by E. P. Sanders, of course. So so uh, super juggernaut scholar, but. What Sanders does in that work, and I use Judaism's quite a bit, to be completely honest. I I, I use that work a lot because uh, I think that he does a, a really good job of of uh, bringing together sources. But what he uses is things like Philo. He uses Josephus. He uses other you know other uh, lit first century literature or around the first century, and then he uh, relies heavily on rabbinical texts. And so what I use this for is to see oftentimes how the, the Mishnah and the Talmud paint the picture of the first century, and then does it line up with other first century works? Anyway, all of this to say, when we look at something like E.P. Sanders' works, specifically Judaism's, uh, he's going to rest heavily on the rabbinical literature. Once we get into the 2000s and later, and now into our specific year, uh, scholarship is much more hesitant to reference the uh, rabbinical literature unless they're saying this lines, the rabbinical literature here lines up with what we see in Josephus and Philo, and therefore there might be some validity to it. That's that's my point. Okay, back yeah, to yeah. you. Yeah, and, and, and I, I'm glad, glad like we're looking at this in terms of chronology of scholarship because basically what we have is an acceleration of, of um uh, well, of learning because we have more scholars now with the amazing tools, tools that even right. E.P. Sanders didn't consider, right? He right. was dealing with a typewriter in the 70s, you know, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and the Dead Sea Scrolls had not, there, were, there was some enthusiasm in, in the news, but they hadn't really been thoroughly uh, by multiple experts uh, you know, published and scrutinized and, and et cetera, until into the nineties, did that really happen? And, and then also the, un, so 
this is still a hundred years after Thayer. When Thayer says, oh, paradosis is Jewish tradition, that's the best his knowledge at the time, but he had no clue of, right? The Dead Sea Scrolls wouldn't be discovered for another 50, 60 years. Um, and so it, 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 there's just, it's such an increase in learning and attention right. to, uh, I, d- I did a quick search. Thayer actually was president of SBL for one year, like 1885 or, or 18, 1894 to 1895 or something like that. In the late 1800s, he was for, for one year he was president of SBL, um, but SBL then was nothing like it is now. Um, and so, uh, what I liken it to is that we're not all, we're looking at the same material. Like everything that was available to Thayer is available to us. Everything that was available to E.P. Sanders. By the way, I just learned that he died like two weeks ago. What? Uh, E.P. E. Sanders died on November 21st. No yeah. way. Yeah, 85 oh. years old. Yeah. Wow. Um, so, well, I'm, bl- uh, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed to uh, have been able to meet him. I've got a, uh, I, somewhere we got a picture of you and him, yeah. I think, somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, uh, that that's, was your, that's that was your little girl moment. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, exactly. It wasn't as bad as mine, I'll admit. Uh, my Steve Vai in the elevator was pretty. Oh, man. Pretty I, should we tell that story now? I, have we told that story online before? Probably. It, well, let me finish this first and then okay. you can feel free. Okay. So, so what we need to do is like, is like realize that what E.P. Sanders had in his day of scholarship, you know, we still have. But what we the scholars have now available to us is beyond, is like almost unfathomable to back to what Thayer had available. And so it forces, because we have such greater resolution or finer granularity, you know, of, of, of material, you know, sources and understanding of social, uh, how religions work and all these kind of thing. Um, and with the Dead Sea Scrolls, we, we realize that we can't just use what I think of as a Duplo Lego approach anymore. When everybody's building with robotic Legos, we can't use the, you know, the two-year-old giant Legos that are just, you know, the kids kind of clank around with and and chew on. Um, and so when I see like someone going to a Thayer for a definition, it reminds me of that. It's like trying to use a, a tool that, that is really obsolete. Um, it doesn't, it, it, it is just a, a, a hot wiring solution. Oh, it just means Jewish tradition, which really confuses so many things. Uh, um, so, anyway. Yeah. So this is a great segue into what I wanted to talk about. And this is the idea that we push on scholarship. You know, I, some uh, recently I had someone, actually I've had several people say to me recently, which is understandable, but uh, I, uh, we had one person say, well, they asked uh, a definition of a, uh, of a Greek word and, uh, and Rob gave it to them. And then the question was, well, do you have any lexicons that support that? And, uh, the, and I the, said, I am the lexicon. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. And, and then we had somebody else say, well, uh, you know, this is pure, the, you know, the, well, this why should article, I believe he, you if it's not in the lexicon? 
right? Right. And then, and then we also had someone say, well, you know, there's uh, the article, an article that they referenced, well, this is peer reviewed article, you know, a peer reviewed article, and we were pushing against it. And then, um, you know, I think there's this idea of, well, once we get back to the lexicons, like, oh, well, you know, you're disagreeing with the lexicon here. You know, how do you, how do you do that? And really, I think that uh, one of the things that needs to be, uh, I, I guess just kind of highlighted is the, is the, I think the role of scholarship is, and the role of those who dedicate their lives. And this isn't necessarily me, uh, but people like Rob and my father and, and those who are, uh, doing work in, in manuscripts and, and working on specific topics and, and, uh, have specialties and things like that. What they're doing is they are, uh, it's, it's like Jurassic park. Oh, here we go. I got a, I got a, uh, I got an good, analogy. Good. I like it. I like it. It's, go for it's it. like, it's like the dinosaurs testing the, the electrical fences. You know, uh, the guy says, Oh, the T-Rex, uh, no, the, uh, the Velociraptors, they continue to test the, the electrical fences and they'll never touch one in the same place twice, but they're looking for they're looking so for we- weaknesses so that they can break out. And this is essentially the, the same thing with, with uh, scholarship. What scholars are doing is they're going and they're pushing on various aspects of scholarship that has come before them to see if there's weakness there and to see if there is something that has been missed. And ultimately, what I mean, uh, one, of the, one of my teachers once said that uh, if you are preaching something that no one has ever preached before, you're preaching heresy. And I think that this is uh, somewhat of a truth. In other words, the, the truth of the Bible has always been there, but how we see certain truths and how those truths are hashed out and how uh, maybe the remnant is, that is, is not the majority, but the minority is, is understanding the Bible. These things need to be uh, worked on more and more. And I'll give you an example. This is something that my buddy Jeff Young said recently. He said that, uh, and I don't necessarily agree with this, but it's something that has made me go, hmm. Uh, he was talking about uh, a discussion that was happening at SBL, and I don't even know if, if uh, Jeff actually agrees with this or not, but he was talking about a uh, discussion that was going on in, uh, at SBL, and I'm probably get this wrong, but this is how I heard it, um, on whether or not the idea of man being created in God's image means that only the people who have a relationship with God are created in his image because they have a relationship with him and therefore they bear the image of God, or whether or not all humans are created in the image of God. And this is kind of the discussion that was going on uh, at ETS. And I, I think that uh, I think that that, that is a... Uh, so, so that's a, something I've never thought of before, and it's not a mainstream belief. But we might press on that. We might, we might hash that out and go in and look throughout the scriptures how uh, something like image of God is used and how being created in the image of God is being used within text and, and stress those points to see whether or not the traditional view breaks or not. So this is, I, I think, ultimately, when we look at something like theirs, lexicon, we can say, well, this is outdated because good scholarship has come and has talked, uh, has hashed this out and realized that Thayer was wrong on this understanding. Uh, Bobby, yeah, the, I, the, the reason the, the, the Lex, if you go to BDB now, let's say it's a Hebrew one that's 100 years old versus Halot, which is more new, or you look at the BDAG, which is the Greek newest Greek lexicon, which is being updated. The difference between lexicons a hundred years ago and lexicons today is the quality of 
of questions and the quality of attention given to research those questions along the line similar to the methodology you were just describing. In other words, why why does BDAG you know have way more detailed entries than Thayer? And that's because there is a hundred years plus of scholarship refining our, uh, you know, testing and refining uh, according to the questions that those scho- the lexicographers, those are the scholars, lexicographers, to the questions they're asking and, and the research they're doing to to get answers. But as those questions, as new lexicographers come and are trained in history and and language and maybe new archaeological discoveries or new texts are found, even that are not, that might not be a biblical text, but it might be a, a Greek text from the first century somewhere that has some use of the word paradosis, for example, in a new context, that that new material gets integrated, it sharpens the questions that the scholars are asking. And then so in the new version of the lexicon, all that new data is now come to bear. And and so the lexicons are a tool that are serving. They're they're not they're not like in the place of of a leader, right? They are tools for the for the heavy thinkers. And and the heavy thinkers are the ones that are giving the presentations at SBL or ETS and they're pushing the boundaries of knowledge in a peer in a intense peer reviewed environment. And and the and that dialogue, that back and forth sharpens up, and that then is going to get encoded in a newer version of BDAG, right? That's that would will come to bear, and then that will reflect that new knowledge, and then again, that cycle is going to happen again and again. So even the halot we have now, or the BDAG we have now, halot is Hebrew Aramaic lexicon of the Old Testament. The the BDAG is the uh, the Greek standard Greek lexicon for early Christian texts, and the, uh, it, it does have a little bit of Septuagint in it also, um, but those are not the be all end all either. Even though they're they're pretty up to date, you know, in twenty years there's going to be a new, either revised version of each of those, or some new, if some new right. institution comes along with a bunch of scholars and says we are going to create a brand new ancient Hebrew lexicon. That could all that could happen, and it could integrate all what's done before with newer stuff. And again, that then will serve as a tool for a new generation of scholars, etc. Anyway, I so uh, beat Bobby that, beat K that horse up pretty bad. No, it's okay. In, uh, Bobby K in the uh, you know he brings up a name that instantaneously catches my eye. He says, Bobby K says, Benjamin Noonan says, it advances in the study of biblical Hebrew and Aramaic that lots of lexicons provide glosses of a word and not encyclopedic definitions anyways, syntax, et cetera. So hey, we're, anybody who, who cites Ben Noonan is, is ex- okay by me. Uh, yeah, exactly. So uh, be, uh, Dr. Noonan is a good friend of ours. We uh, just saw him at ETS uh, and uh, SBL. Him and his wife, Dr. Noonan and Dr. Noonan, uh, are, we're both there. Uh, they are, uh, I would say, leading uh, scholars in biblical, in, in, well, Dr. Noonan, 
that is uh, Benjamin, Doctor Benjamin Noonan, is uh, is a Old Testament uh, scholar and a Hebrew teacher. His wife, Doctor Jennifer Noonan, uh, is a uh, scholar who has uh, is trying to advance the way that people teach Hebrew to biblical Hebrew to others. And she and I mean, we just love the Noonans, and uh, I would I'm just going to plug her book because it just came out, and I would uh, I've only perused bruised it. I haven't read it yet, uh, but it just came out while we were at ETS. It's called A Handbook of SLA for Biblical Studies, and it's $26.99. You can find it on Glossa House. That's G-L-O-S-S-A house.com. Gen- I'm, I'll read you the description, and you can go buy it yourself. Uh, it's ca- The subtitle is Insights of Modern Language Instruction for Teaching Biblical Languages. Jennifer E. Noonan received her PhD from Hebrew Union College. In, in, this is just her bio, but ultimately, the, uh, the book itself uh, we would recommend, and anything by the Noonans, uh, both Dr. And Dr. Noonan. Um, so yes, uh, I would agree wholeheartedly with Dr. Noonan. By the way, his PhD dissertation was uh, way over my head. But the more Hebrew I, I know and learn, the more I'm impressed by his dissertation. Yeah, his dissertation is, is non-Semitic <clears throat> loan words. In, in yeah, and I think he specifically looks in Daniel, but then he expanded it, right? Well, it's, it's the whole... He, he does have an article on Daniel, but uh, it's mostly anywhere like some Egyptian term, let's say. Right. So it's, it's basically a lexicon. I mean, it, it, it is a, uh, I, maybe I shouldn't say lexicon because that's not really fair because what it's, it's, uh, an index and, 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 um, kind of an encyclopedia of non-Semitic loan words in <clears throat> the Tanakh. So that means, because we know, are in per- there's Persian words, there's Egyptian, there's Hittite, there's right there words that are non-Semitic. There's right. Sumerian um, that then he brings them in. Now they're spelled in Hebrew letters, of course, but then he'll talk about the original language that it came from. This is from the Egyptian word this. And then he gives a brief history of like, well, scholars used to think that it was this word, but evidence now shows it's really this word. And and he does that by, I don't know, there might be 200 entries. Well, he wrote a book about it. His dissertation became a book, which I, by the way, don't have. Unfortunately, I'm sure my father has it. I'm positive. My father has it. Uh, I do not have it, but, uh, uh, we're kind of in, we're kind of, it's, it is in the weeds, in the weeds. We're in nerd mode right now. This show is super nerd mode. Good nerd. Yeah, but but uh, (laughs) for those of you who don't know what in the world we're talking about, a loan word is a word that a language such as Hebrew has borrowed from another language. So throughout the Bible, you have these words like the the word Pharaoh, like the word Paro, and it's not a Hebrew word. Right, it's an Egyptian word uh, that is transliterated into Greek or not Greek. Well, later in Greek, but in, in Hebrew letters. And it becomes a Hebrew word. Pharaoh. Yeah, they transliterate it, right? It's, yeah, but it's a trans. Yeah. It's it's a Egyptian word, right? So there's there's tons of these that he then goes and looks and looks at the, because he's a specialist in ancient Near Eastern languages. So Egyptian, you know, Hittite and all all these cool ancient obscure languages. He digs out and and chases down. He gets the receipts basically for right. for the common claims, and then he'll crit, he'll be critical of. In many cases, it's like, you know, for years, people thought it was this, but I, this, this is what it really is. And then he'll, he'll show why. 
So I, I first, I first met. Tense. So this is this is why uh, this is this will show you the history. Uh, Doctor Benjamin Noonan's mother is a uh, is a uh, what a customer of TorahResource.com. and so uh, we found out that that uh, Ben was given his uh, was giving a paper at the Evangelical Theological Society in De- in in uh, San Diego in 2007. This is when he was I think he was in undergrad, so he was he was actually uh, studying for his MDiv. And he and my father and I went to go see him. I was, anyway, uh, we went to go see him. I had no clue what he was talking about. I mean, he could have been talking about, you know, (laughs) migration patterns of of geese in Southern Africa. I I have, I would have had no clue, right? Um, But, but that was when I first met Dr. Noonan. And uh, he, and throughout the years, every year at ETS, uh, we've seen the progression of him go from that paper into, you know, getting his PhD, uh, writing his dissertation, writing book, meeting his wife, having a child, them bringing their child to ETS and SBO with them. And now they leave her behind with grandparents so that they can come and they can give lectures and don't have to carry it. And it's, I mean, it's been, it's been wonderful to, it's wonderful to think that I'm 41 years old and, and I've, you know, I've seen different people kind of, you know, that are around my age grow up into much better, much better citizens than me to see the people who have done stuff with their life. Uh, it's, it's, it's great to see anyway. Uh, yeah, we, we greatly respect Dr. Noonan and uh, the work that he's doing. Okay, let's move on. I think that we've, uh, we've talked enough about this. Let's move on. We will, ta- uh, we will now move to Stephen's comments. Stephen uh, writes in often, and uh, all of his comments are always good. This is what he says. He says, could you or Rob please be a little more specific for me on the differences between the Mishnah, the Midrash, and a standard biblical commentary like the Matthew Henry, which is used in a lot of reform circles. As I struggle to learn and grow in the Torah movement, I have heard it said that the Midrash and the Mishnah are simply Jewish or rabbinic versions of a Christian Bible commentary. Okay, let's stop right there for a few Dude, seconds. I, didn't we do this? Did yeah, we, we talked this? about this, but he wants us to expand it. Oh, oh, oh expand. Okay. So, so... Let's stop right there because I think this is a good place that we could actually talk about some of the differences. So he says, I struggle to learn and grow in the Torah movement. I've read that the Midrash and the Mishnah are simply Jewish or rabbinic versions of a Christian Bible commentary. So the Mishnah is- He said he read that? He's he's heard that. So I- Heard it or read it. Okay. Yeah, I heard it or read it. So the, the Mishnah is certainly not a commentary on the Bible. What the Mishnah is doing is like- uh, the work that you might see a pastor attempt to do from the pulpit. In other words, this is the, like, this is how we keep the commandments. So here's the commandment. This is how we keep it. Here's a commandment. This is how we keep it. So it's not taking, and oftentimes the, the Mishnah is not concerned necessarily with a biblical passage. More it's concerned with the tradition that we have. So for instance, this is how we wash our hands. You know, first you grab the cup like this and you wash like this, or, you know, on, on Passover, you have these elements on the plate. Okay. So, and, and this is how you do this. So the Mishnah is much more concerned with uh, a tradition and how we are to keep said tradition. It is not 
often, oftentimes it's not linked specifically to uh, passages on why or how we would do something. Now, the Talmud comes along later and says, let's connect these two uh, biblical passages. And so that's kind of the work that the Talmud does. But the Mishnah itself is just kind of a step-by-step guide to keeping the Jewish traditions uh, in the fourth, fifth century. Am I right so far, Rob? You want to jump well, in here? Early, I mean, the mission is earlier than that, probably. Well, our earliest texts of the mission are later than that, but uh, but generally they accept that the mission was codified by Judah the Prince, you know, early third century. Um, but it it is it is a way of thinking of Jewish tradition. However, it is a sectarian in a way it's a sectarian presentation of jewish tradition right there there were other um like we know you know very clearly from the first century now from the dead sea scrolls there were and we know it from the gospels we didn't need we didn't need the dead sea scrolls to know that there were different sects of judaism right Right. we didn't need we got that from the gospels we knew there's pharisees we knew there's sadducees um we know there's people who are herodians who whatever that was I got to, I got to, for every, I, every time I hear the word Sadducee, I think of my friend Ben, who listens to this podcast, by the way, because he always used to say, say, yeah, they didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they're sad, you see. But come on, man. You're the, you're the dad joke king. You should really I know, like that one. I'm like, wow. All right, fine. Never mind. Keep going. joke coming out of Caleb's mouth. I know. Well, I'm a dad now. So, okay. Keep so, going. So, yeah, that's good. So, so the Mishnah is, is a, it, it does have places where there is disputes even preserved in the Mishnah. You know, one Beit Hillel says this, but Beit Shammai says something different. Sure. Um, and then, and so it does preserve a few different opinions when there's disputes. And sometimes it, it gives it a, a final decision though, and this is the way to do it. And sometimes maybe not so clearly, but whatever it is, it, there's tons of stuff that, that was trimmed out in terms of Jewish tradition. So it's a new brand. So the Mishnah represents the rabbinic brand of Judaism and they don't right. call it Judaism either. So it's right. It's the rabbinic brand of, of Israel, of what Israel looks like. <clears throat> and, uh, you're right. right. It's you like, know, it, there's it's not, like, it's not, it does not try to, justify all its rules by attaching everything to scripture because the ideology of the Mishnah is that it is a, it's an independent revelation from the written Torah, right? So for the Mishnah to try to tie down all of its, all of its traditions to scripture would make it seem like it was derived from the Torah. Right. Uh, But the rabbinic ideology is that Moses received two separate two discrete revelations at Mount Sinai. One's the written Torah. The other is called, quote, the oral Torah, and that they are two distinct revelations. And um, only because of social circumstance in the rabbinic telling of the story and social pressures and, and fear of loss was this, quote, oral Torah that goes in an unbroken chain all the way back to Moses, only oral, um, put into writing finally and because out of because of crisis uh because of social crisis it had to be written otherwise right. it would have been lost but it being written was not the ideal 
um, hang, on, just, on, oh, hang, on, hang on, just real quick. The John 17 project says, would it be more like the Didot K than a commentary? Is that a better approximation? Yeah, the, the Didot K is an interesting work in and of itself because I, I think it shows an interim um, uh, place where Christianity and Judaism is still linked, um, but Christianity is attempting to find its own legs. So I, yeah, Didache I, is, I see Didache as a strange early sect. Like it, 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 it didn't take, you know, like the FFOZ and the, and the, who's the, uh, oh, he did his PhD on it. Nassim, I think is his name. Um, they, they tried to put the Didache as back in the first century yeah, and I actually, pro, actually <clears throat> present it as if it has valid right. instruction for the church. No, yeah. For, I, I mean, you know, I, or for Messianic Jews. And, and that's such a, it, I tried di dipping my feet into the Didache studies and I'll tell you what, I, I mean, I disagree with most scholars because I think it's late. I think it's well, it is late. late. Yeah, we know. And here's things that I, I, I remember asking, uh, I think it's Daniel Nassim. I asked him about it because he read his, he had just finished his dissertation on Didache. And I said, Hey, well, what do you think about where it talks about uh, the gospel? as a written text. Right. And it's like, it kind of, I think I kind of caught him off guard. I, I, uh, I'm like, yeah, we know that when it's only in the second century when the word gospel in Greek is used as an, like, it's a, it's an object of like a right. written text that's being cited the gospel. Um, that's way late. So that's, and there's other reasons. Yeah. I think, I think end early. of, I think end of the second century, and I know a lot of scholars who say, no, 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 it can't be that late. I think it's end of the second century. Anyway, not the point. The point, the point okay. is the reason in the Messianic Jewish world, and when I say Messianic Jewish, I mean um, Jews that are probably of a bilateral ecclesiology, right? Um, and they believe in the Bible, like they believe in the 66 books. Um, but when it comes to exegesis, of that position that there is that because, because they arrive at that view of the world through, because they've walked through the rabbinic candy land. Right. And they come out, <laughs> they've got, they've got like, you know, little Ooh. candy stuck to them and they've been drinking the chocolate river and all this kind of stuff. Willy Wonka. Willy Wonka. Yeah. You know, they come out, they've got little, the little factory. They got candy canes. They got candy canes, <laughs> you know, wet licked candy canes stuck to their clothes, you know, and then right. they go and they read the gospel and then they interpret it through rabbinic right. candy land or wonderland. Right. And, and then, but then what happens subsequently there, they bring this worldview into the gospels. And, uh, and so that's why they have rabbis. That's why they they say there's six thirteen for for Israel and and you know and the Gentiles have a limited portion in the Torah, and that the rabbinic halakha goes back right. I mean because they are projecting the rabbinic imagination from the Babylonian Talmud times and propaganda, and, yeah, back into the first century. So so that's why, but because they don't arrive at it exegetically. From the text, they, they look at other. They're they kind of go, oh well, there's this didache, didache thing, or there's just midrash about you know Abraham and destroying the idols, you know, in his father's idol shop. You know, there's different kinds of stories and lore that they draw from later times to try to edify the church. Okay, hang on just a sec. Like, let's 
let's let's talk for just a second. So let's answer the second part of of Stephen's question. Midrash is taking a a well known story, making a new story on top of that story that is not historically accurate to try to prove a point, to make a application. That's how I see it. That's how I see Midrash. Te- te- technically, te- if you want the technical definition, which I got from my teacher, Marty Jaffe, is this. Mishnah, so so you have Mishnah and Midrash. Mishnah is a, a legal tradition, meaning it has to do with law, how to do something, procedure, kind of like propaganda. <clears throat> that is procedure of how to wash your hands or how, how to do such and such a thing or what is acceptable, what is not. A tradition codified in like a sentence or two that is transmitted independent of scripture. It's right. not tied to a scripture. It's not trying to explain a scripture. It just is for its own sake. A midrash is a tradition. It can be legal or agadic, which means it could just be for the sake of telling a, a moral, making a moral story right. that is transmitted dependent on a scripture text. Right. So a, mid, a midrash will always be linked to a verse of scripture. Right. A, a Mishnah will rarely be linked to Scripture. Both of those could have can have a legal legal uh, content or agotic, but technically the Mishnah is mostly mostly legal. But when but I think of mid, when I when Mishnah I think of Avot, Mishnah Avot, or the the sayings of the fathers, which is the o- really the only place in the Mishnah, a few sprinkles here and there, but of the bulk of the Mishnah, Mishnah Avot is the only purely Agotic. It's just sayings with little moral, you know, you, you know, what you know. Just keep uh, kind of like James, like be be uh, be quick to quick to hear and slow to speak. You know, like little one liners like that. Right. Okay, uh, I think we have time for one more. I hope that answered your question, Stephen. Write in again if it didn't. Um, so we got time for one more, and then after this. So after this. Oh, actually, hang on. Uh, I missed a an entire section of Stevens. Should we read the rest of it, or are we? Yeah, yeah. That? Let's. Do, wait, I don't want to. Stevens says so for exa- for an example. Here we go. So for an example, how would each of these com- commentaries deal with a passage of scripture like Genesis fourteen and Abraham's encounter with Melchizedek, or any other passage that you think would be better for an il- illustration? I remember a great conversation with your father on the subject a long time ago, and the conclusion of that conversation was that there's no reason to ignore these works and they are good to study for historical information, true, but they shouldn't be seen as our main source of biblical food. They are not inspired, which I believe tends to be more a problem in some sections within the Messianic community and of course branches of the many Judaisms. Yeah, I I think that they are... So here's the biggest problem that I have. So uh, I'll say this. When we think of rabbinic literature... One of the problems that I see within the Torah movement, specifically the uh, Messianic movement, is the notion that we should be taking the commentary of the uh, Jews as a source of commentary. Now, I think that we there are certainly things, anybody can have good insights 
right? So I think that there are times that Mark Nanos, who is not a believer, has had some great insights on the book of Romans. I think that it's been interesting for me. I don't think that they're right, but there has been insights that I've used from Bart Ehrman, who is an atheist, on, say, the book of Luke. And I have pushed against those insights. So we can take insights from just about anyone and say, that's interesting. Maybe I'll build on that. So that can happen even within uh, the non-believing Jews. Uh, However, the work of the rabbis, in my opinion, is not something I would use as a commentary. Uh, I might go check to see what they have said on on something so that I can better understand a position. I might also go look to see what they have said as a historical understanding of what the Jews believed in a certain time, or maybe how it formed a, a belief that is in Judaism today, or maybe even a belief that has crossed over into Christianity. So we might be able to see those things within the historical text of rabbinic Judaism. However, when it comes to rabbinic Judaism, we have to remember that these people that have written the rabbinical text have rejected Christ. They don't believe in the, in the true Messiah. And that has painted their belief and how they see the scriptures. Beyond that, uh, many of them... they haven't heard the gospel. I mean, so we have to to say that that's a possibility too. Finally, beyond that, the other thing that we have to realize is that uh, Jewish mysticism is strong and alive and has been ever since the days of Christ. And we see this even like Simon the Magician. The point here is that the rabbinical texts are oftentimes painted and seen through the lens of Jewish mysticism. And that is something that we should fight against strongly because I think it moves over into the Baal cults. I don't think that it is of God. And therefore, we have a sprinkling of idolatry within the lens that is interpreting certain things within Judaism. That's not across the board. I don't want people to, I'm not saying that every text that the Jew, the non-believing Jews have written is, uh, you know, it's not an anti-Semitic thing to say that Israel has followed after the Baals. And I think that we see that within their writings. That's how I see that. Well, we say, well, you know, the prophets made that claim. Were they (laughs) anti-Semitic? Exactly. Anyway, I hope that that helps. Uh, I I will take a now we let's say one more thing on that. When it comes to choosing a commentary, I think this is one of the reasons that we choose multiple commentaries because what we're trying to do is we're trying to find historical accuracy, <clears throat> theological uh, maybe divides so that we can see how different theologies have understood certain passages, and then from that, what we do is we attempt to understand the Bible. Uh, as interpreting itself as well. And so this is how we come to uh, biblical conclusions. Um, But even within Christian commentaries, we have to be very careful because people have a specific uh, theology that they're coming from. And we all have biases. There's no doubt about that. And so when I read, you know, a, a commentary from say, you know, Keener, uh, who I respect greatly and, and, uh, you know, I, I think that I would consider him an acquaintance. Uh, I, I do disagree with him though on things. So when I read Keener, I have to understand that Keener's coming from a very specific point of view. And so that needs to be understood and needs to be put up against other people who are writing on the same, same, uh, topics. Okay. Are we good on that? Yeah. I mean, the bit, just to, to recap, there, there's nothing wrong if you want to read a lot of it you can find online even in English translation if you want to right. just get an understanding of what the Mishnah is just Google you know Mishnah and, and find some English translation and just 
and you just read a little bit. Even if the translation isn't great, you'll get a sense of what's News going now. on. <laughs> Same thing with the Midrash. But what you have to understand is <clears throat> we have to understand, put it in its proper historical context. Right. And it is not capital N, capital O, capital T, uh, an appropriate or even helpful or edifying lens for framing our reading of the of the scriptures we have we have to understand now the rabbis would have you believe that the rabbis meaning the the right the the strict rabbis who believe that the mishnah is oral torah from moses unbroken they are going in fact ideologically are committed to the to that proposition that you can't understand the written torah if you do not have the rabbinic authority guiding your reading right Propaganda so, once again. But, but, but the that, that's, is, the propaganda that's the problem. Element. That's the problem that the, <clears throat> the the Jewish believers who are of the rabbinic worldview. That's a problem they have. That's a problem. That's if they have to sort that out for themselves of whether or not they want to keep ordaining rabbis or not, or whether they. But but it doesn't. But them telling those believers telling Gentiles that they don't that the whole Torah is not for them. We don't have to listen to them on that. Right. 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 Uh, because we are, you know, like Paul says in Galatians, if you belong to Messiah, you are Abraham's seed. You're heirs according to the promise. Like right. this, this is the blessing of Abraham is for you. You are grafted in. This is, this is your inheritance. We do not have to explain ourselves to Messianic Jews who are drunk with rabbinic wonderland chocolate milk. Preach. Um, yes. Uh, but but it doesn't. But I don't. I'm not, I don't mean to be dismissive of their problem. They have a unique historical uh, predicament, and and we, you know, I, you know, I've I've known and talked to Jews who were rabbinic Jews. They came to faith and they got booted out of their communities. They got horribly treated. Families broken up, and were legitimately ordained rabbis in in that world. And they have no. They don't go around calling themselves rabbis anymore, um, they, because they clung to the faith of Yeshua and they love Him. And they don't. They don't care, even though horrible things happen to them. They counted it as as good for for Messiah. But then you have people who are born Jewish, particularly it seems like in America, and they have identity issues. And they're not sure who they are. And so they find a path of, of secure identity imagined in converting back to Judaism and then trying to teach the church what the true Jewish Messiah is. And that's, don't follow them. I'm just right. telling you, to don't, don't follow those people. They're, they're leading people down to a dead end because their real problem is not, is something different than what they're focused on. Their real problem is their own identity their own their own yeah their own comfort with just being in messiah and they don't have to they don't have to be accepted by the rabbis you know right. but but once you have the messianic jewish institutions that start uh ordaining rabbis it's a confused it's a confused space that's all i'm gonna say but it's not um, my problem i to will solve never because forget. i'm not jewish <laughs> it's not my problem <laughs> sorry you know it's not my problem i i have the scriptures and that's, and you know, and, and that's two let's, let's end on two stories. Instead of going to an, another topic, let's okay. end on two stories. Number one, uh, I will never forget the time that uh, I was talking to, and I won't mention any names, but I was talking to someone <clears throat> who is uh, high up at the uh, MJAA. <clears throat> 
we were talking about a position paper that the IAM, IAMCS had written on my father, where oh, they yeah. accuse him of, they accuse, and this was, a, it was a total hit piece, uh, talk about propaganda, it was a hit piece to try to uh, move people away from uh, the teaching of my father, uh, but it was a hit piece saying that he was teaching salvation by works, which my father not only wrote a response to, but uh, vigorously uh, denies and showed throughout his work that that, that was not the case. Um, and they said that because my father has uh, preached that Gentiles should keep the Torah. Anyway, so we're talking and uh, I bring up to this person, well, you said that, uh, th that my father taught a different gospel than Paul. And then I took him to Galatians where it says anyone who teaches a diff different gospel than us is accursed. And I said, so it seems as though you're saying that my father is accursed because he's preaching a different gospel. And he, well, okay. Yeah. I see why you would say that kind of thing. And then he, he said something about, well, you know, it, it, it's always suspicious to us when Gentiles, uh, uh, try to teach uh, Jews uh, about the Torah or something to that effect. And I said, my father's Jewish. And he said, wait, what? I said, yeah, my father's Jewish. <laughs> he said, really? I said, yeah, his mother's maiden name was, was Schwartz. You know, my, my father's, you know, very Jewish. And he said, you guys should be members of the MJAA. He tries to sell you. Yeah, all of a sudden. You, why don't you guys come to the next meeting? It was like as soon as he found out that my dad was actually Jewish by blood, it was like, oh, you're part of it. Come on in. When he thought oh. my father was a Gentile, it was, oh, he's a curse because he's preaching a different gospel. But if he's Jewish and preaching yeah. a different gospel, yeah, there's, there's come an, on there's in. There's definitely an identity insecurity. or I don't know what. I'm not a psychologist. Okay, second story. So, uh, several years ago, we are in Denver, and uh, <laughs> we're staying at a hotel, and we get into the elevator to go down to the lobby, and uh, <laughs> Rob is standing next to me, and it stops a floor down, and a guy gets on. He's got a hat on, much like Rob is wearing a hat today, and he's got kind of his coat up around him, and he comes in, and he stands kind of off over here. And Rob, I've never seen anything quite like this come out of Rob. <laughs> Rob goes, oh, my word. Oh, I, I, I'm, I'm so sorry to ask this, but would you mind if I got a picture with you? Now, I'm thinking... <laughs> this guy must be a scholar of, he must be the greatest New Testament scholar of all time. Or maybe, maybe he is the greatest Hebrew scholar of all time. Maybe, maybe it's Newsner, but it's not because he's not old enough, right? Like, I don't know who this guy is, but I don't recognize him. And the guy kind of sheepishly, mind you, sheepish, sheepishly says, uh, yes, of course. And so, Rob hands me his phone. Can you please take a picture of me with this person? Now, I still to this day have have I did some research after Rob told me who it was, and it was uh, Steve Vai. Steve Vai. If so, you don't so know when, who I, Steve... when I was learning guitar as a t like I was, I think I first heard him when I was fifteen years old. I, I you know, he really was the first time you heard. Wait, was the first time you heard Steve Vai when Ralph Macchio beat him? No, but that was the same. It was the same era. 
So for those who don't know, go look up Ralph Macchio. Yeah, you can watch the clip. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Crossroads uh, guitar battle. And Steve Vai. It's the uh, karate kid guy. Yeah. 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 Uh, Ralph Macchio beats uh, Steve Vai at the guitar. But anyway, it was was the biggest show of uh, fangirl that I have ever seen take place. I yeah, totally, I, I own it, that. It, that was it was, <laughs> do you still have that picture? You still got Somewhere, that picture? Yeah, on my phone, I think. Yeah, you texted it to me. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, was but awesome. Here's the cool thing is that like if had that happened when I was a teenager, I'd be like, how do you play that? That <laughs> fast lick on that guitar solo. But here we, we talked for almost a half an hour on the street of Denver talking about, I was talking to him about Jewish scribal tradition, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Jewish sectarianism. He was asking like all sorts of questions about, uh, about that. And he said, Hey, what you're doing is really important. I'm like, okay, cool. Anyway. And then he got his phone number. Now they talk every day. No, no. Oh, you should have gotten his email address. Hey, I can send you some manuscript, uh, clippings. No. All right, guys. Hey, listen, we do need things to talk about next week. Uh, so send them to us, uh, and it'll hopefully we'll see what we're hoping that next week will be our season 10 kickoff. If not, it'll be the next week. Kind of depends on a couple of different factors, but we do need content for that show and it needs to be great. It needs to be dynamite content, perhaps the best content we've ever had. So if Mm. you've been saving it in the vault, now's the time Two five three four six five thirty two zero five. That's our answer machine. You can tell us all about your idea. Excuse me, I got something in my in my lungs. Seahagatorresource.com. Write us an email. Tell us all about what you want us to talk about. Uh, that would be good. And also, don't forget to subscribe to this YouTube channel so that when we do go live or when we do upload uh, videos from the season ten opener, you won't miss it. And uh, yeah, we 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 desperately need uh, some some great content. So please. All right. Uh, hey, thanks for doing a show with me, Rob. Good show. Hey, thank you, man. Good show. Thank you, everybody, for being part of it. That's right. All right, here we go. We hope that this conversation, I'm sorry, we hope that this conversation has done at least one thing, that is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. You know why? Well, you know why, because Messiah matters. Yo. Yo.